Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Who in your life gives you the best gifts? Is there someone that uh, is a great gift giver to you? Uh, my wife tends to be a really good gift giver. Um, I, I erred a lot on uh, in our early in our marriage. We've been married for twenty six, almost tw- uh, almost twenty six years, and uh, almost twenty seven. I don't know. You lose track after twenty five, apparently. <clears throat> anyway, we uh, I was not very good of a gift giver when we were younger in our marriage. Uh, and then then someone clued me in that you're not supposed to give gifts. So husbands, if the, if you're new at this, let me give you some advice that you're really not supposed to give gifts that plug in. Apparently that's that's a, a plug plugged in gifts are not great. So sweepers, uh, you know those kind of things, not great gifts. Uh, but my wife's a really good gift giver. She uh, uh, and let me tell you why. She she just she knows me so well. She knows the things that I enjoy, and she takes mental notes throughout the years of thing uh, throughout the year of just things that I've I come to appreciate. Um, I've, I'm a I, I really enjoy. Um, the Chicago World's Fair. That's something that I'm really interested in. Uh, so this last year, she she actually bought me. It was just a small little trinket, but she got it off of eBay, and it was from um, eight from the uh, uh, from the the first Chicago World's Fair. We're talking like 1894. She found this little trinket on eBay, and I keep it with me all the time. It's in my cell phone case. It's just this little bottle opener um, that goes on a on a watch. Uh, so it's just, and I, I really come to cherish that little thing. It's just, a, it's a great symbol because she knows me so well. She knows I enjoy that. And the fact that it comes from the uh, late 1800s is pretty fascinating to me to have just a piece of memorabilia from that. So she's such a great gift giver. I always look forward to what she is going to give me for Christmas because I know she's studied me well throughout the year and just thinking, so, you know, so it doesn't have to be a large sum of money. Uh, of, of, that she spends on a gift. Sometimes it's just something really memorable. Um, my guess is you, you may have someone in your life or have had someone in your life uh, throughout the years that have just given you some really good gifts. You know, this month what we've been talking about is just the gifts that God has given us in Jesus. Not the gifts that we receive because we know Jesus or because we've placed our salvation in him. It's the gift of Jesus himself. Like when we sing about the incarnation, when we sing about Jesus coming to earth, it's, it's not because we get lots of other things attached to Jesus. It's because we get Jesus himself. It's him. Like he is the gift. And yes, we receive lots of things because of our relationship with him and because of our faith and trust in him. But the real gift is Jesus himself. That, that is the gift that God has given us. It's the greatest gift we have. So over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about this this gift that we receive in Jesus. Uh, we receive, receive Jesus uh, himself um, by faith, by, by faith alone. It is not by anything in our own performance or anything that we could do. God accepts us, invites us into his family based on the righteousness of Jesus. That is the gospel. That's the gospel. It's by Christ alone and faith alone. Last week we talked about the gift we receive um, being set free from fla- from the slavery of performance. And the gift we receive is the presence of Jesus himself. When we're set free from performance, when we uh, begin thinking like this isn't about what I do, it's not based on how I perform or how righteous I am, and we're set free from the knowledge of that and the reality of that, then we get the presence of Jesus as a result. We get to be with him and we choose him. Today I want to look at a passage of scripture found in Luke 11, the one that was just read. 
It too is about receiving Jesus, but it's in a, and it's in a different way. The context of these verses is about prayer. The preceding verses are uh, what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus is, uh, the disciples have asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he's taught them our Father, who art in heaven, taught them the Lord's Prayer. And then these verses are the verses directly after that. It's, it's, it's still talking about prayer, and he just continues to go on. We don't typically memorize these verses. We just memorize the Lord's Prayer. But these are really important because they help us to understand the manner in which we come to the Lord in prayer and, and really, more importantly, God's response to us. It's about how God responds to us in prayer. What's his manner of response? And so we see this uh, here in Luke 11. I'm going to read uh, some of the first verses, starting in verse 5 again through verse 10 this morning, just to remind us. And he said to them, this is talking to Jesus, talking to disciples, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I said that word wrong. It's not impudence. My wife corrected me last night, and I don't know how to pronounce it, but you get it, right? Um, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus is asking you, Jesus is asking you, the listener, to put yourself in the position of someone that has a friend who's traveling through town at midnight and stops at your house. Can you try to put yourself in that frame of mind, Jesus is asking you to put yourself in this position. Let's think for a moment that you are, you're in bed, and at midnight, you hear a knock on the door, and it's a friend of yours, someone that's traveling through town that you did not expect, comes and knocks on your door, and, uh, and because it's a good friend, you've, in, you've invited them in. You said, okay, well, yeah, come on, let's uh, come on in, have a seat. Um, yeah, it's late, but uh, you're friends, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you come in and, and have a seat. But there's a problem that occurs. Jesus tells us. He says, uh, uh, because it's a, a cultural norm at this time, that if you invite a guest into your home, it's you're to provide something for them. This is a traveler who's been traveling all day, probably hasn't had access to food or water, and so you've invited him in, and there's a problem. You've looked in your refrigerator, you've looked in your cupboards, you've looked... Uh, in, uh, in your shelves, and you've discovered that you have, you have nothing to offer them. Nothing to offer them. This is kind of an embarrassing situation, right? But you have a good friend, and, and the cultural norm at that time is that you are supposed to offer them something to eat. So this is an embarrassment for us. So, as a result of your embarrassment, as, as a result of you having nothing in your cupboards, nothing in your refrigerator, you decide, well, I'm going to go to another friend's house. I'm going to go to uh, perhaps a neighbor's house, and so I'm going to go and I'm going to knock on their door at midnight or later. And so you go to their door and you knock on the door and you say, you shout in because everything's shut up. You shout in, friend, I have a friend that's been traveling through t- 
and he's showed up at my house unexpectedly, and I have nothing to offer. I have no bread. I have, I have nothing to offer. Can you get up and give me some bread? And the answer is no. You can hear the friend shouting from his bed, no, I'm not going to get up, right? I'm not going to get up. Everyone's tucked into bed, and if I get out of bed, then everyone's got to get out of bed, right? I'm not getting up. I'm not giving you anything. I may have what you need, but I am not going to inconvenience myself to get out of bed, because if I roll out of bed, then everyone in my household is going to get up. It's going to be a real chore for me to unlock the door and to get the bread and to take care of this stuff. So the answer is no, I'm not going to do it. But Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I love the translation, actually, that was read. Does anyone remember that? It was because of his... uh, shameless audacity. Is that right? I think that's what Mike read. His shameless audacity. That's a, that's a great translation of that particular uh, passage. It's his shameless audacity. Jesus tells us that it's not because of his friendship. It's because of this shameless audacity his friend will give up, get up and give him some bread. So what does that mean? What does that mean, this, this, uh, this shameless audacity? Well, it means... That he's going to get what he wants because he asks because of his shamelessness. He's like, I, I'm going to ask. I'm going to, I'm going to keep on asking. I'm going to, I don't care if I have to wake up this entire neighborhood. I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to keep on knocking. I'm going to keep on asking until I get exactly what I need. Because my friend is hungry and I have nothing to offer them. It's this word in the Greek that really is translated shamelessness this brashness, this gall that he has. The emphasis on this is his boldness. It's his, on his boldness. It's not on his repetitive asking. It's not because he is persistent in asking. It's about his boldness that is the point here. It's his boldness that he's asking at such an inopportune time. And this took a tremendous amount of gall for him to do. So then Jesus instructs us in verse 9. He says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. This is an important verse for us to understand. See, there's three present imperative verbs here. Three present imperative verbs here. It's to keep on asking, to keep on pursuing, to keep on knocking. See, it's present, but it's imperative. It will continue on. It's about him continuing. It's, it's, the, it's the method in which he's asking, the shamelessness that he's asking. But there is this, these verbs that tell us that he's going to continue asking because he's so shameless. Look, he has nothing to lose. I have no bread. I have no bread for my friend. I have no bread for me. I'm going to continue asking because I don't care. I'm just going to keep on knocking. He's just shameless. So there's three levels here. The first is, and Jesus tells us, and I think this is important. The first one, is, he says, is that uh, the first level is asking. This one is uh, almost as though uh, he's saying, um, 
you go to God and you say, Psst, hey, hey, God, um, can I bother you just for a moment? I, I have something I need to ask of you. Uh, and this is really important, but I, I need to ask this of you. Uh, so, Lord, I, I really need for you to listen to what my request is going to be. That's the asking part. The second level means to strive after or to demand. God, I'm telling you, I need this. I, I, I need to have your undivided attention here, Lord, because this is incredibly important for you to hear. I need, I need, Lord, I need for you to hear this. I'm going to shout it as loud as I possibly can so that you can hear exactly what I want. And then the next, the knocking is though you are storming the gates of heaven. Lord, I am not going to leave. I am here. Lord, I don't care. I don't care if, 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 how ridiculous I look. I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm here for bread. I need it desperately because I have none and my friend has none. He is storming the gates of heaven and he's knocking on the gates saying, I am I'm not going to be reluctant to ask. I'm going to get aggressive and I'm going to bang on the doors until I get an answer. Those are the three levels. Ask, seek, and knock. Here, they intensify. And Jesus, I think, gives us those for a reason. So what brings a person to a place where we are banging on heaven's gates, demanding God to hear our prayers? What brings us to a point we are completely shameless and we are completely bold before the Lord? What brings us to a point? I believe it's desperation of the soul. I had a mentor once tell me um, that this man who's banging on the door, who's begging his friend, who is completely shameless, who's saying, I need this bread, that this man is experiencing a dark night of the soul. There's a point why Jesus says that this happens at midnight. There's a point of desperation that this man has, that it cannot wait. And that he is so shameless and so bold that he will, he will knock on the door and he will shout from his the loudest voice that he has, I have no bread, I need bread, please bring me some bread. It's a reality and the admission that you have no bread for either yourself or for your friends. My friend has nothing. I have nothing. You have everything I need. You ever felt so desperate before? You ever felt that kind of desperation? I, mean, I, I have. Can I just admit to you, I have at times in my life have felt so desperate. Sometimes it's been circumstantial, right? Uh, my younger sister, when she was 18, died in a horrible car crash. It was that moment of just desperation. God, I just don't understand. I don't get it. Lord, I have nothing. Nothing. I have no bread. For myself, I have it not for my family. I have it not for my friends. I have no bread. I am desperate, and I am crying out to you, God. You have to give me some bread. You have to give me something. Sometimes it's circumstantial. Sometimes it's just 
um, seasons in my life. I, I'm going to admit to you that this year has been one of those seasons for me where I have seen my spiritual life just very slowly move into the ditch. And it came to a point where I just could not bear it anymore. I just couldn't. And it was a moment of just pure desperation. God, I have nothing. And I can't fake it anymore. I just can't do this. You ever felt those days of just utter desperation? God, I just, I have nothing left. I have nothing left. I believe when we arrive at this state of utter dependence and desperation, we get a better grasp of our own depravity of our souls. Like when we realize that we have nothing, we get to see who we really are and go, well, there's some darkness there. There's some things that I don't like about myself. The older I get, the more realize, I realize more how out of control my life really is. Everybody feel that way? Like my body just doesn't work the way it used to and the relationships I have just don't go the way I think they're going to. Like the older I get, I just feel how out of control my life really is, how dependent I am. I've also come to better understand the darkness of my own flesh and the evil that dwells in me. I, I confess like Paul does in Romans chapter 7, for I do not, do, I, I do not understand my own actions. For I do, I do not do what I want to, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my own flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to is what, keep, what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. I have to confess that. <laughs> that it is, it is my flesh that so many times wins out. I know what is good, but I am desperate. I have no bread. We would rather not admit these things, right? <laughs> it is so much easier just to continue the facade that our life is together, that everything is in control and everything is right and everything is good and, and that we are not as desperate as we really are in our hearts. Things that we would rather not admit. There are two great drives in our heart that keep us from admitting that we are desperate. Two great drives that that keep us from admitting uh, that we have no bread and that we desperately need it. The first one is that we are strong. And the second is that we are right. First, let's talk about our drive to be strong. We love strength that comes from youth and money, beauty, intelligence, prestigious work, good health or fame. We work hard to be in positions of strength in our relationships through manipulation and control and intimidation and anger. We try to control our lives, our homes, our families, our friends, 
and enemies to maintain the supposed position of strength that we have. We like being in control. We like being strong. That's why when a relationship or a situation spins out of control for us, something that's beyond our own strength, we tend to freak out a lot, right? Because we like the, we like the control aspect. So if something in our lives just spins out of control, it could be our health, it could be a relationship, it could be something, our jobs. If something spins out of control, we try to grasp to hold on to it so that we can control and manipulate the situation because we can't bear not to be in control. We can't bear not to have the strength to see it through. We want to be in control, and the worst possible thing for us is to feel weak and desperate. It's to feel weak and desperate. It's the worst thing for us to feel. But we know that we are. We are weak and desperate people. The facade that we have that we put up about having the strength to control all these things, it's just that. It's a facade. We can't control anything. Confess it. You are weak. Just do it. Just confess it. I am weak. It's okay to say it. It's okay to confess that and and say it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I am weak. I'm weak. And I have no bread. The second thing is that we have a need to be right. Every day, as soon as we wake up, our hearts are seeking new ways to justify ourselves. We long to think better of ourselves, and we long for others to think well of us as well. We work hard to keep our own reputation and are quick to put someone down in order to improve our reputation. We work hard to be better and to look better than everyone else. I'm right about my kids. I'm right about my spouse. I'm right about my work. I'm right about my home, about how it should be run. I'm right about how the church should function. I'm right about my enemies, and I know why they're wrong. I'm right. I know this is a drive in my heart because when I'm right, there are some things that happen. I don't listen. Why? Because I already know what's right. Yeah? Why would I listen? I already, I already know what's right. I complain. Because I know what's best and what's right. I boast. It feels great for others to see how right I am. I defend myself. Don't try to undermine this righteousness that I've been building up my entire life. Don't do that, because I'm right. And so I defend myself. I attack and accuse, because you're not right, I am. I'm harsh with others, because there's something wrong with them, right? Not with me, there's something wrong with them, so I can be harsh with others. I'm critical. People need my help, right? They need to be corrected for their own improvement, And I gossip. I'm right about other people, and I'm right about their problems. 
See, it comes so naturally to be right and strong. Yet the gospel says there is only one who is right. There is only one who is strong. That's Jesus himself. And we are not it. Confess it. Confess that, that I am not right. Confess it, you're wrong. You don't have to be right about everything. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to protect your ego or your reputation. It's okay. You can confess that it's okay to be wrong and weak. To say, I have no bread. I have nothing. I know for some of you, you're struggling with this so much this morning. You're struggling because the facade in you, the the flesh in you is fighting against this. You don't want to say that you're weak. You don't want to say that you're wrong. Because you have, for years, you have built the facade. You have built this armor around you that says that you are right and that you are strong. And to admit something else means that you are lesser than. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. Why? Because we feel it in our own hearts. We feel in our hearts. Stop acting. You are desperate. And you have no bread. You have no bread. There's a paradox in the kingdom of God, isn't there? which calls us to become weak and wrong, to become dependent and desperate. And when our dependence and desperation is firmly fixed and placed on the Father, then we get the one true gift, Jesus himself. We get Jesus. See, when we admit it, when we say, I'm wrong and I don't have to be right, when we say, I'm not strong, I'm actually weak, when we admit those things and we confess them before the Father, He doesn't look down on us. He doesn't say, well, see, I told you, you're weak, you're wrong, and He, and he somehow thumbs His nose at us. No, because He's a good Father who desperately wants to give His children bread. When you arrive at the truth that you have no bread, you will discover the one who does. And that he is a good father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. He delights in it. So why does Jesus tell us then in this story that the friend refuses him? It's kind of a strange thing, right, for Jesus to say. Well, it is a contrast in showing us the heart of our Heavenly Father. God answers our prayers not based on friendship. I want you to get this. This is, this, is, this is an amazing discovery that I've made this week. See, in the story, he says, I'm not going to give up and, uh, get up and give you bread because of, your, because of your friendship. Right? God does not get up and give us bread because we are friends with him. Right? Why does he give us bread? Because of our sonship. Because we are his children. He gets up and gives us bread. Jesus helps us understand this by contrasting our own nature of a giving parent towards God's giving nature of a parent. 
So then in verse 11, he says, what father among you? So again, he's trying to help us imagine this for a moment. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, instead of a fish, gives him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, we have a desperate need, and we have an abundantly more loving father than any parent. Like, my, my parents were good at giving us gifts. Like, they were. But my parents were, in nature, their flesh was evil, right? That's what Jesus is saying. And so, he's saying, how much abundantly more loving of a father do we have than God himself? God the Father is not loving this neighbor. He is not your neighbor. For he never gets impatient or irritable. He's always generous and delights in meeting the needs of his children. The friend of the door had to keep on knocking in order to get what he needed, but God is quick to respond to his children's cries. That's why Jesus begins the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer with what? Our Father. See, it helps us remind that we're not coming to a, a stranger or to just a neighbor or to a friend. We're coming to our Father. We're coming to the one who loves us abundantly more than even our earthly fathers could ever. But Jesus says, how much more? How much more will the Heavenly Father give? Jesus doesn't tell us how much more. He kind of lets us use our imaginations in a bit. Think this, what do you need? Like, what do you need that you would ask your Heavenly Father for? What would you need that you could ask Him for? Comfort? Contentment? Power? Truth? Love? Joy? Peace? Patience? Kindness? Goodness? Faithfulness? Gentleness? Self-control? These are things that we ask our Father for. In desperation, we call out to Him. Asking, seeking, knocking, banging on heaven's door. Father, I have no bread. I have no bread. Send me the bread of heaven, Jesus Himself, that I might not ever hunger again. I might never hunger again. And I might have life everlasting. See, the amazing thing is we ask for a gift and our Father graciously gives us the giver, right? I mean, if you think about it, what is, who is the Holy Spirit, right? Because that's what he says. He says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, I think sometimes we think when we read this verse, we say we're asking, we're knocking, we're seeking, and somehow we're going to, because it tells us that, he will give us, right? He'll give us um, whatever we ask. For whatever, uh, uh, whoever uh, asks receives, and those who seek finds, and those who knock, it will be opened. And so we maybe somehow think, well, whatever I ask for, I get, right? What is Jesus, what is, what is Jesus teaching us here that God actually gives us? He gives us the Holy Spirit, which is the best gift that we could ever receive, It is the Spirit of Christ Himself that dwells inside of us. That He actually gives us the giver of gifts. I mean, that's the best gift we ever have, right? 
is someone who dwells in us that gives us what we need when we need it because his role is to be a giver. It is the spirit of Christ himself that lives in us so that when we cry out in our desperation, God, I have no bread. I have no bread. For myself, for anyone else around me, I have no bread. God, I desperately need, desperately need you dwelling in me. And God, because he is loving, more gracious than a friend or a neighbor, or even our earthly fathers or mothers, God graciously gives us the giver, gives us Jesus. Let's pray together.